So as you're sitting in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 17, it says, And whatever you do, and you know, if you know me for a while, or even for a few weeks, you know that I love the whatever and all and any in the Bible, all right? Because, like I say, when we say it, it's probably not a good thing, but when God says it, it's awesome. And whatever you do, which includes everything, Okay, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So do everything you do, everything, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this morning we're going to continue our series, Reach. And I want to talk to you about a a ministry within the church that is really a ministry that's revolutionized our church. But not only here at Grace Chapel, it's really revolutionized a lot of ministry here in the Cincinnati area, our nation, and even around the world. And I I want to talk about this topic this morning because I just got back from Nigeria. And years ago, um, I stood up here a long time ago in the very beginning of our church, and we laid out the, the vision for what we're going to talk about and and especially Nigeria and creating an economic zone in Nigeria. And I said I used the, I said basically that this is just a fact waiting to happen. That if we if we put our hearts to this, if we put our minds to this, to creating this in Nigeria, that God will do amazing things. And I, I just you know I want to lay this out this morning. This whole idea of of, of marketplace ministry. But I want to do it in such a way to thank you for your your input. Thank you for your time, your talents, and your treasures, and how they have truly impact the world. And I, I mean this sincerely. I know I don't like to brag about Grace Chapel, and maybe it sounds like you're bragging about yourself, but what we have developed and created here has truly made an impact on our city. And it's truly made an impact on the nation. And it's truly made an impact on our world. And, uh, and I, again, I just want to thank you for your heart and the, the investment that you've made. In 2000, we started Grace Chapel, and many of you were here, and we had a heart to reach out to those who were vulnerable, to children and to, to families who were in, in desperate need. It's part of our vision, part of what we wanted to do, but then we had to ask the question, you know, we're, we're the kind of church that likes to think outside of the box. And, you know, you can say, well, you know, part of our, our mission will be, or as we send missionaries out, we'll, we'll focus on orphans and an orphanage and we'll fund that orphanage. And, and being the church that we are, we were thinking even beyond that. You know, how do we truly impact the lives of people, not only little children, but their families? How do we impact their lives for the long term? And so we prayed, and, and God gave us a clear vision in this area. He kind of laid it, laid it out for us. We started thinking, what if we could engage the, the, the marketplace people within this church to, to impact the lives of those, again, who are most vulnerable, who are hurting, who are in some cases just completely destitute and don't have an opportunity to to stand up on their own, if you will. How do we reach and impact those people? So we started we started thinking it through, getting together, and we started thinking through a plan of how we could how we can make that happen. And in 2002, we started self-sustaining enterprises. And the idea of self-sustaining enterprises was just to self-sustaining enterprises basically is 
We have a we have a, a head for business and a heart for ministry. How do we take the business minds within this church, those skilled people within this church? And even if you don't think you've had an impact on this ministry, you're probably wrong because some of you are really close to me and I talk to you a lot. Others just throw advice once in a while or give me some thoughts. But we implement all those things together over the last 18 years. And that's what really has impacted this church. So self-sustaining enterprises started out to with the idea of funding orphan care, okay, through businesses around the world and really starting those businesses in those particular countries. So we have a country, we said, what if we started businesses in those countries that funded initiatives that can't fund themselves, like education, like health care, feeding all those things. So how do we start businesses within those developing countries that will help fund those initiatives? And we, we knew that God had called us to impact with all of our strength, if you will, with all of our mind and all of our strength to impact the lives of those vulnerable folks because he is very clear in Scripture, okay, that that reaching out and helping people who are defenseless, defending the defenseless is something that is at the very heart of God. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your soul and all your mind, all your strength. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to know the second most dominant theme in Scripture, it is helping those who are defenseless. The first is, you know, Christ the Messiah coming and, you know, the whole whole gospel, if you will. But second behind that, and more scripture verses than almost anything else in the Bible, is God calling us to take care of those in need. In James, in James chapter 1, verse 27, it says, Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. And so when we started self-sustaining enterprises, we thought the best way... To fulfill our vision, okay, this is just thoughts that we had, the best way to get the money to fulfill that vision of starting those businesses in in developing countries was to go and look for grants. So we were going to the USAID, we were going to large foundations and large businesses and trying to get grants for that money. And 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 we quickly realized that we ran into a problem that um, the funding was not coming in. We were not getting the funding necessary to fulfill the vision that God has called us to. And so I was talking to my wife, Deb, and on the phone, and she was relaying some information to me. This gentleman, his name was John, and he was a, a really famous scientist, actually. He's, he's invented a lot of things that you all know about. And uh, we were talking to him about helping us, and we were, be, we were pretty much a team. But he was relaying the information to Deb, and she was relaying it to me that we were not going to get any money from the USAID or other places like that unless we had a lobbyist in Washington. We need to hire a lobbyist and pay him $90,000, and they would go up and lobby for us and blah, blah, blah. Well, that ticked me off because didn't, we didn't have $90,000, and I wasn't going to spend $90,000 to hire a lobbyist certainly wasn't going to take it out of the, the church and try to do something like that. And so it frustrated me. And when uh, Deb was finished and I hung up the phone, I was I was honestly I was angry. I was just frustration. Um, and I started talking to God. You ever talk to God when you're angry and frustrated? Because I said to him, Lord, I said, you know, I know you've called us to this vision. I know you've called us to do this. 
It was so clear in my heart. I know you've called us to do it, but we don't have the resources that we need. How are we supposed to accomplish what you're calling us to accomplish if we don't have the resources? And God spoke to me, the clearest he's ever spoke to me in my entire life. Okay, it wasn't it wasn't an audible voice, but it was as close as that I've ever come. And what I heard was stop whining. Stop whining. And honestly, I couldn't even argue because I was, I was big time whining, okay? Like a whining baby. I was whining to God. I was whining away. And, and God said, I never asked you or told you to go after grant money. That's not, I never said to go after grant money. What God said to me at that moment, I remember standing in my bedroom up in the house that we live in right now, looking out the window, and God said, my son, your church is filled with some of the most dynamic business minds in the country. The resources are out there. I never told you to go after grants. Use the people within the body of Christ who have skills that you can't even imagine, okay, in yourself. There's millions, there's billions of dollars out there. Go out and get it. Go out and get it. And that's what we did. Instead of just starting businesses or business trees in developing countries, we started them right at home as well. Let me tell you, it is the most difficult thing that... Probably that I've ever done in my life was to, you know, a few years, maybe eight, nine years ago, I was thinking to myself, even seven years ago, whose stupid idea, I was trying to blame somebody, whose stupid idea was this, right? It was difficult. But again, being surrounded with some incredibly gifted people. And if you are, you know what I've learned in life? If you are relentless, if God has called you to something and you are relentless, you'll, you'll accomplish it as long as he's the one who's calling as long as he's the one. See, here's the thing. We all have goals. We all, we, we all have dreams. Things that we'd like to improve or things that we would like to change. If you just stop for a moment, and I came to you and I, I, I'll, I'll use it sometimes. When I cut you, what do you bleed? Like some people, they just, they're so passionate about this. They want to see this change in the country. They want to see that change. They want to see this change in the world. There's, there's, every one of us has things that we'd like to improve, that we'd like to change. For some, it may be, again, impacting the lives of orphans and widows around the world. That you, when you hear of, for example, child trafficking or tra- human trafficking, it just burns you up inside. And you're thinking, well, how do I, how do I make an impact there? For, for other people, it's, you know, your neighborhood, your community, and your trying to reach out with the love of Jesus Christ to the people around you on your, on your team or in your neighborhood or whatever the case may be. Now, for all of us, it should be all of those things. We want to do all of those things, but for each of us individually, as the body of Christ, that's what we want to do holistically. But for individuals, there are individual things that you really want to see changed. So I ask myself, why should we limit God? There's so many, there's the body of Christ and there are so many things in this world that need to be changed. Why should we limit God on the way he chooses to fund those dreams and those goals? Why should we limit God on that? It changes nothing. It changes nothing when it comes to giving. Okay, this is the found giving when it comes to tithing is the foundation of the church. Nothing I say this morning will impact that whatsoever. I'm not I'm not saying anything that will say, well, we don't need to tithe now. We're doing this. Not at all. Not at all. What I'm talking about is using the gifts and talents and abilities of the body of Christ to impact this world in very unique ways. Very unique ways. And I ask myself, why should we limit God and how he chooses to fund some of those dreams? 
So we started self-sustaining enterprises. Self-sustaining enterprises combines, okay, again, a head for business and a heart for ministry. I'm going to run through these very quickly. Under self-sustaining enterprises over the years, this is what we've done. We have, we have um, owned business trees. I use the word business tree. Okay, and the best way to describe a business tree, a, a business tree is a Christ-centered enterprise that blends the best of business and ministry. So it's a Christ-centered enterprise that blends the best of business and ministry. And the goal then would be the business would help fund that ministry. And now here's another thing, just so you understand. There's nothing new under the sun. The first century church understood this completely. It's just been lost over the years. But the first century church would I'll be standing up and preaching to them. They'd be like, yeah, yeah, that's that's just what we do. We, we you know, this is how this is how we run things. So under SSC, we have owned business trees. We have entrepreneur owned business trees, which is the pretty much the majority of what we do now. And the entrepreneur owned business trees, what we do is we accelerate entrepreneurs. They run their business and then SSC owns a part of that business and they fund some of their resources back to self-sustaining enterprises. We then take that money and we invest it in business trees in developing countries, again, to fund initiatives like education, healthcare, those kinds of things. So that's, no, that's the second. So we, we have entrepreneur-owned business trees. We have partner business trees. Those are biz- businesses that, those are businesses in the community, you know, Christian, even non, that love what we're doing and they partner with us. They want to align with what we're doing and give us maybe some resources, some expertise. So they align with us. We also have an angel fund. The angel fund is used to create capital for future business startups. Now, to answer your question, if you're thinking it, not one penny of the tie of this tie of this church goes to this. Okay, angel funds using money to start up business trees, those kinds of things. We don't use tithe money to do that at all. That comes from people that we have relationships with. They have a heart for what we're doing, and now we pretty much can fund ourselves because self-sustaining enterprises is profitable. So, but it didn't come from tithe money. I want to make sure you understand that, so no one's confused and saying, "Are we using our money to start businesses?" No, we're using okay the business trees though to help fund the ministry. And what I mean by that is, if you took dollar for dollar, pretty much. We could, we could fund, okay, we can fund our entire missions budget from our businesses right now, from the businesses within the church and self-sustaining enterprise. I think that's amazing. I think that's pretty cool. We've come a, a long way from what God has said to us in the very beginning. It's amazing what God has been doing within the body. And then we also run the Orca Center. The Orca Center is right, we used to be the old, the old thrift store. The Orca Center is a center for marketplace ministry. It's an accelerator. It's an incubator. It's a place where we can bring people together and do training, business training. We have now, we, we partner with Jobs Plus. Where we're training people within the community to give them better jobs or jobs at all. We work with our food pantry. Yeah, there's pictures up here. You can see it. It's, uh, it's pretty much, we're, we're, we're pretty much finished. We want to do a little more decorating in there. Um, but we have, we have business people, entrepreneurs who use that now. There's a lounge area. There's a, there's like a cafe area where people can come in and have some coffee and there's a fr- refrigerator, those kinds of things. But people are running their businesses or, or, 
within the Orca Center. It's a great, guys, it is a fantastic evangelistic opportunity for us as well. Because it's not just people from within this church that are coming in. People are hearing about it from all over the city and they're coming in and working out of the Orca Center, which has been really, really exciting for us. And like I said, so it's entrepreneurial and business office space. It's kind of an open office space. We also have the, um, the Nigerian Economic Zone. In the very beginning, what I said was, this is just a, 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 a this is just, you know, a, a vision kind of waiting to happen, a fact waiting to happen. And it is happening. The, the Nigerian Economic Zone, the idea behind that is in the book of Acts, it says that at different times they sold land and, and brought money to the disciples, and the disciples would distribute that, and there were no poor among them. And so what we thought in the very beginning is how do we, you know, you can say, we're going to end world hunger. No, you're not. You're not. I mean, I don't think that's ever going to happen. For I give you a lot of reasons why. I'm not being you know, Debbie, you know, downer here or anything. Um, but what we're saying is let's wipe out pockets of poverty. A village, the Kisiat village where we work in Nigeria, is a pocket of poverty, if you will. Not everyone has jobs there. It's a poor village. And so what we do is we bring it. We have an economic zone there, about 60 acres, and we create jobs for the people in that village. Our goal is to wipe out a pocket of poverty. Villages make up a tribe. There are about 200 and something thousand people in a tribe. So if you can wipe out pockets of poverty in different villages using a business plan, okay, then you can wipe out maybe poverty in a tribe. And that's how you do it, one at a time, focused, okay, using those skills focused one at a time. We have a tree farm there. We have a pig farm. We have a chicken co-op, a chicken farm. We have, um, we have like, like I said, 60 acres of land, so we do a lot of crop farming. And I'll, 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 explain, I'll explain more of this in a couple of minutes. I'll get into some details and show you some pictures um, because it is so exciting to see what God has done through this body, through you, through your investment of time and resources, what God has done through this body. And I want you to celebrate. I want you to, if you're going to clap for anyone, first for the Lord, okay, at the end of this service, first for the Lord, and then honestly pat yourself on the back because it was your heart and your energy and your passion that made this happen. So this is all a part, what I'm describing is all a part of the marketplace ministry structure of Grace Chapel. You think, marketplace ministry, what what are you talking about? Well, a church has what? Children's ministry, right? No one, you're not like, of course, we have children's ministry. We have youth ministry at our church, and we have life group ministry at our church. We have men's ministry. We have women's ministry. We have marketplace ministry. That's what we have here at Grace Chapel. We have a marketplace ministry. Now, ours is a little more developed, and we've gone on, it's kind of on steroids, because the movement right now is faith, work, and economics. Faith and work, people have down pretty much because that's more intellectual to write out. The theology of work, that's one thing. It's the economic part that we've worked so hard on that we've accomplished and we've achieved. We are now profitable and giving money away. The only question is how much money in the future are we going to be able to give away? After first service, when I was finished, I had so many people coming up to me within the business community saying, hey, we want to be a part of this. And what happens is I've learned that once you push a train up the hill, when it goes down the other side, it's, it, add, it just it adds momentum and strength as it goes along. And that's where we are right now, which is really, really exciting to me. So I want to stop for a second and ask the question, why is this topic so important? Why is it so important that we talk about this whole idea of faith, work, and economics? Let me share a few reasons. Number one, 
So that, and this for me is, this is what drove me in the beginning. So that vulnerable children, defenseless children can dream of a limitless future. You know, you, we talk about, oh, those poor kids are starving. It's terrible if anyone's starving. You know what's worse to me? That there are children in the world, there are people in the world who've been designed by God who cannot fulfill the purpose for which they're designed. You know why? Because every day they're worrying about one thing, not starving. That's what they're worried about, getting food and water. When you eliminate that, when you, when you drill, like we have over 150 boreholes, wells, okay, and you put, our, our village has multiple boreholes where fresh water, you could drink the water out of our well. When you do that and you give people opportunities and jobs, they, they begin to think about the future. If I don't have to worry about what I'm going to eat today, what I'm going to drink today, they begin to think about what God has designed and created them for. See, to me, that is worth every bit of this discussion, that children will be able to dream of a limitless future. I want to show you a couple of pictures. Here's a couple of girls that are now in the HOPE program. You see what she's holding? That's a picture of her from 2008. We have pictures from 2002, 3, 4, 5, 6. I just couldn't get them all down there. But I started bringing pictures back. These kids don't have pictures of themselves. You have baby pictures. You have pictures of every year. Your parents are always taking You have so many pictures of yourself. It's probably unbelievable. She has one. And that's it. Unless I'll, I'll go find more because I know I have a lot more. But if you see her, she's the one on the left there. Okay, making pretty much the same face, which is pretty awesome. But they were thrilled to get pictures of themselves. My point, my point is this. They started out years ago as little kids in that village. You know what they're doing now? Now they're going to the whole program where they're being educated. They're going to get their high school. They're going to go through high school. And if they can, go through college. And that will be funded for them. Once they get out of college, though, and you guys, you, you men and women who are in business, you understand this. Everyone will understand this, no matter who you are. When I graduate from college, I can have a great degree, but what do I need next? A job. Okay? And so our economic zone that we're building there, it's not just about farming. We're moving into other areas as well. We're trying to come up with ways to create jobs for these kids because you can live in Haiti. You can live in Nigeria. I'm telling you right now, you can get educated, but there are no jobs. So how do we create jobs for our, for our kids. We are, listen to me, we are a global community of Christ followers, awakening imagination, igniting passion, and unleashing purpose. That vision was not laid out because we came up with some really neat words. They're a part of, those kids are a part of our global community of Christ followers, awakening their imagination. I don't have to think about eating and drinking anymore. Awakening the imagination, igniting our passion. What am I what am I passionate about? What does God call me to do? Now I'm passionate about it. And then unleashing their purpose. Unleashing their purpose means giving them an opportunity to fulfill what God has called them to do. And that's exactly what is happening. I'm just talking this morning about moving it forward. Not that it's oh, one day, one day, one day is happening now. So now it's how do we drive this forward? How do we keep using your skills to drive this forward? That's number one. Number two, so that we can, why is this important? So we can understand the significance of work. We need to be careful not to insult God's anointed. Okay? The body of Christ, people in the body of Christ are anointed by God to do specific things that God has designed them to do. Let me give you an example. Let's go back to the life of Jesus. All right? 
What was Jesus doing before his three years of public ministry? 30 years. He's 30 years before he began his public ministry. And I mean by that, moving to the point where he started, the Holy Spirit came down, boom, and God, Jesus moved from that point to the cross. What was he doing before that? I want you to be, I want you to think about that. I'm going to ask you a question. Did Jesus live a secular, spiritually meaningless life before those three years? Anybody? Would anyone like to be bold enough to say that Jesus lived a secular, meaningless spiritual life before those three years? Remember when Jesus went off with his parents and they were traveling and and all of a sudden they couldn't find him and and Jesus ended up, he was in the temple, right? He went to the temple. And in in Luke chapter 2 and verse 49, when his parents were talking to him, he he said to them, How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Jesus, as a child and as a teen, okay, was serving God, was investing his life, okay, was doing what God the Father called him to do. There was never a point in Jesus' life that he did anything secular, and I'll get to that in a moment, okay, or spiritually meaningless. What he was doing was honoring God with his whole life. As he got older, Jesus worked as a carpenter or maybe most likely a stonemason. Doesn't matter. Same kind of thing. All right. Was Jesus, when he was doing that job, was he doing a secular, spiritually meaningless thing when he was a carpenter or a stonemason? Anyone bold enough to say that he did something completely meaningless and secular when he was doing that? No, because he wasn't. Jesus was doing what God had called him to do at that point, And he was honoring God with his life. He was doing it all. He was doing everything he did. Okay. Everything he did. He did it all to the glory of God. I know guys who are in this church who go to work every single day who are more mature spiritually than many pastors I've met. I don't mean the pastors in the church. Okay. Because our pastors are really spiritually mature. But <laughs> I'm telling you. I know guys in this church who go to work, and I know women in this church who go to work, who live their lives, who are more spiritually mature, more Christ-like than pastors I've met. Because they honor God with everything they do. Paul, we all know, is a tent maker, right? Paul was a tent maker. Was he less godly when he was at work making tents? Think Paul, Paul, well, here's what he did. He, he, if, if, if there's a godly robe you can put on, Paul took off his godly robe and was less godly when he went out to be a tent maker. Do you, I mean, think about this for a second. It's absurd. It's absurd. Paul was a tent maker. Paul was just as godly. Paul was just as honoring to God. Paul was constantly preaching the gospel no matter where he was, whether they stuck him in prison, whether he was making tents, or whether he was in the synagogue or in the marketplace talking to people. Paul was the same person. He honored God all along the way. There was no separation there. See, this topic's important because, you know... There are so many times within a not, for example, a nonprofit organization, some that you work with, you're on the board or you, you fund these where the resources don't really keep up with the vision that the, the ministry has. That's why they're always having banquets and asking you for more, right? Because there's so much need out there. But start to think when you, when you start to engage biblical, a biblical worldview and you bring in a biblical worldview into that situation. 
how, how, what an impact that could have on that nonprofit organization if we take what we're learning even this morning and we implement that. If we apply that to that situation, I'm not saying now the nonprofit starts to run businesses because that's not their skill level. But there's some people in this church who could. There's some people in this church who could take their, their, their time, their mental energy and their resources and start something that would fund that nonprofit ongoing. It's just focusing your attention and saying, yep, this is a worthy cause. I can use the gifts, the talents, and abilities that God has given me to help them fulfill the vision to which God has called them. Here's another thing about marketplace ministry that's really important. It is a, it is a natural avenue to connect people who are otherwise disengaged in the church. You know, one thing that has boggled my mind year after year after year, you get many women who are business, I mean, they are on top of the world out there. They come in here, they sit and do nothing. I don't mean in here, because in here they don't sit and do nothing. As long as I, I find out if you're who, who you are and I plug you in, right? Get you. Surround you. I always say, man, you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. You just have to surround yourself with the smartest people, women and men in the room. So I find out who you are and get you engaged. But here's the thing. In most churches, people who are involved in business, and I'm kidding, they're the kings of the world out there. They come here, they sit and do nothing. Why? Because the church doesn't use their skills. How is that biblical? Do you really think God gave you those skills to use them out here, out there and not in here? To, to his glory in every avenue of your life? God has designed you and wants to use you and wants to use those skills. He didn't give them to you for no reason. We have heard story after story after story of people coming alive who were once only marginally engaged within the body of Christ. And now I know there are people in this church who probably work harder since they've been retired than they did when they worked at P&G or GE or Kroger or different people or different places around or, or they sold their business. They're working harder now than they did then using the skills that God has given them then to use them now to impact the impact the world for the kingdom of God it's absolutely incredible to see people come alive they'll tell you what when you start embracing this whole thought process there are CEOs and CFOs and COOs and marketing directors and there are people who are just amazing there are scientists and there are salespeople and there are entrepreneurs when you when you start to take the scales off people's eyes and you start to preach what the what a Christian worldview is, the scales fall off people's eyes and they are ready to invest their lives in a spirit-driven cause. They're ready to invest their lives. Ephesians, my favorite, one of my favorite passages of scripture is Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. And it says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine, according to his power that it is at work within us. Okay? God wants us to think outside of the box. I'm going to talk about this in a minute or so. God is an unorthodox God, and He wants us to think outside of the box. So I want you to, I want you to come and dream with me for a second. Let's ask some what-if questions. Some, some what-if questions. What if churches and nonprofits no longer were limited by traditional forms of funding? Banquets, sending out envelopes, you know, give us at the end of the year, that kind of thing. Not talking about tithing, okay? Put that aside. That's that's what we we all are all called to tithe, okay, to our local church. That's just reality, and that's good. We need to do that, no matter how much business trees make or whatever else. That money goes that way, okay? So we're called to tithe. But imagine, just imagine, what if 
the nonprofit that you're supporting was not limited by traditional funding methods. What if a church of 500 could have the same impact on the world as a church of 5,000 or 10,000? You know, it's very interesting. There are churches that are 100 and 500. There are churches that are 5,000 that are 10,000. I got an email while I was in Nigeria of a church in California that wants to fly some of their staff out here to, to walk this campus and to pick our brains so we can help them set up what we have there, here, there. That's the second. There's a mega church, another one in Dayton that wants us to mentor them through this whole business process. They're bringing a lot of their business people. And in a mega church, there are a lot of strong business people to come here and we walk them through the process to give the market. It's not the staff, the church that have to run all this stuff. The marketplace ministers of the church run all of this. So the pastors bring the marketplace ministers down from their church. The name we give them, marketplace ministers. And they then run this part of the ministry for the church. Because that's, the, that's the, what they do. Gifts, talents, and abilities. We have churches, we have hundreds of people a year who come here from all over the world to learn what we're doing and apply it in their situation. What if a church of 500 could have the impact of a church of 5,000 or 10,000? What if we could build economic zones in developing countries to really have an impact on the least of these? Remember what Jesus said? Whatever you do for the least of these, you, you do for me. I want to show you a picture of a few things. This is our economic zone. So this isn't a dream. This is just a reality. This is the, the pig farm. The pig farm, they realized that trying to grow the pigs to a full size economically was difficult because it's hard to find feed. So what they're doing now is they have sows and they have a boar and then they, we have piglets. So keep going there. I'll show you. The, that's, that's two, there's two different areas. There's one here and there's two buildings with pigs. And these are the sows. Keep going. Look at that. <laughs> you thought feeding your baby was tough? <laughs> and what they're doing now is they have the piglets. When the piglets are weaned, they sell the piglets and that becomes profitable. So we have the pig farm. We also have 60 acres of land that is being farmed right now. Um, and that's doing well. It creates jobs. We have a chicken farm. The chicken farm is doing well. The chicken farm is profitable. And so what we've decided to do is double the size of the chicken farm next year in 2018 because we can sell every chicken that we can raise. We have, we have uh, contracts with uh, some, some uh, Mr. Big, which is like a fran- chicken franchise, restaurants, different restaurants, hotels, those kinds of things. So we can sell. Plus, there are freezers you guys bought a couple uh, months ago. Those freezers are filled with our chickens. We're at an advantage now because most people don't have freezers. When they have chickens, they have to come up and say, you want to buy our chickens? And if they say, no, you have these chickens that are about to rot. You know what I mean? Ours are frozen. So we can ask for a, a good price. And if they don't give us the good price, we just put our chickens back in the freezer. Works really well. Business street, right? It's funny because we named it the Orca Center. Just so you know, Orca is a killer whale. Okay? They say a shark when you're, you know, a shark, you know, shark tank, shark, shark, sharks. They say that because a shark is the number one predator in the ocean. No, it is not. The number one predator in the ocean is an orca. An orca will ram a shark, turn it upside down, and feed it to its family. A great white shark is not the number one predator. A killer whale is. So if you're going to swim with sharks in business, you better be an orca. That's what we say all the time. So we got the, we got the farm. That's working. We're expanding that. What if entrepreneurs and business people, think about this for a second. What if entrepreneurs and business people in the community saw the church, think about this, as the first stop in finding a solution to the challenges they face in business? Do you know 
fact that we are now doing business turnarounds, that businesses are coming to us and asking us for help. Businesses in the community asking the church for help because their businesses are going down. And we have turned some of those businesses around where they're now at a place where they're break even and they're not losing money so they can continue to go forward. And we bring the body of Christ around those people with different skills in marketing and finance. You know, I learned most people in business don't know their numbers. So they're going under. We surround them with people and help them in those areas. And now we've turned some of those around here. And we, we do seminars. I've asked many of you in the church where to kick off. We're going to start up our seminars again and have you come in and speak. When I, some of you come in to speak, you, you are experts in some of these areas. And the people in the community would love to hear your expertise. And that's what we're doing. People knock on my door and ask me for help. Businesses in the community knock on my door, not because they have family problems, because they have business problems. I can handle family problems, but to be honest with you, at this point, I can also help them with business problems and connecting with the right people. It's called earning the right to be heard. Seriously, it's called meeting felt needs. If I meet your felt needs, guess what? You, I've earned the right to be heard and now maybe I can meet your spiritual needs. Think of, think of the evangelism. Can you say meeting felt needs? Can you say evangelism? You see, in Acts chapter 17, verses 16 and 17, Paul saw a city that was lost. And he responded by reaching out with the gospel. And here's what it says. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. Uh, I was going to show you a video, but time-wise I'm not going to. I'm going to save it for down the, down this, down the line in the series. But you may be sitting here and say, yeah, well, Paul did that. Okay, Paul was able to reach out to the marketplace. Paul was able to, but I'm not Paul. How do I do it? We're going to teach you some skills. How you can, not, because marketplace ministry is not just about Nigeria. It's not just about Africa. It's about right here at home. The businesses that we've accelerated here at home, they are trained in what I'm discussing with you right now. So when people come in, whether it's, you know, someone who's a, a, a person who's coming in for to have their hair designed or so, whatever business, and we, we know how to invest in people's lives and love them, bring the love of Christ into their lives. They're trained to bring the love of Christ into a person's life. So it's, it's having an impact. So when you ask, well, how can I share the love of Christ with someone around me within my business community? We're going to teach you some of the ways to do that. What if the local church could blend church leadership, nonprofit leadership and business leadership to further the cause of Jesus Christ? What if those three work together instead of separately? Because right now there's a divide between church leaders and business leaders. They don't, they know, you got to keep them all separate. I'm saying we bring them together to further the cause of Jesus Christ. What if churches in places like New York and Pennsylvania and the Northeast where they're, where they're closing their doors, places like Alaska where there's only 2 or 3% of the population that go to church and churches are struggling to stay alive. What if they could implement some of these, these biblical principles into their ministry and help pay their staff just a little bit, help pay their light bills or their mortgage just to keep the lights on the doors open? We're watching churches close one after another, but applying biblical, biblical principles to their situation, maybe some of that would be able to change. What if you could eliminate the mindset that churches or nonprofits are needy and businesses are greedy? 
because they came together in that blue ocean strategy, if you will. They came together and worked together to impact people's lives. What if instead, guys, of giving a person a fish or even teaching a person how to fish so one person now feeds themselves, what if they own the pond? Here's what I'm saying. When you give ownership of the pond to someone, he thinks, why one pond? Why not two? I, why can't I have fish in three ponds? Then he starts hiring people to run those ponds. So giving a person a fish, they eat for a day. Teach a person to fish, they, they individually eat for a lifetime. Giving them the pond, the fish are in, okay, that's different. Now they're, now they're hiring people. They're hiring people to run those ponds, and now you are, you are doing that economic zone. You're creating opportunity there. You're building into entrepreneurs and creating opportunity. Now, everything I've talked about, everything I've talked about, I know is unorthodox. I know it is, okay? But here's the reality. Like I said in the beginning, we serve an unorthodox God, okay? Look, go back in your mind and think about some of the stories in the Bible, okay? And then tell me if God's not unorthodox and likes to think outside of the box and wants his people to think outside of the box, David and Goliath, okay? I'll I'll start with Gideon. Gideon takes on a Midianite army of about 120,000 men with 300. Why? Because God said, well, you're starting out with this many? That's too many. Anyone who's afraid, tell them to go home. Boom. Brings it down. Then anybody who's left, go down to the water. Anyone who laughs like a dog, blah, blah, blah. And he gets down to 300 men and takes on an army that was already bigger than his to start with. That's not unorthodox. David fighting Goliath with a stone and a sling is not unorthodox. Jonah being thrown overboard, being swallowed by a giant fish and vomited up on the shore of Nineveh is not unorthodox. Go, Joshua, okay, in the battle of Jericho, go read it. March around one time, six days, then on the seventh day, march around seven times. You priests do this and blow your trumpets and everybody shout at the same time. The walls come cumberling down. That's not unorthodox. I agree, what I'm talking to you about is unorthodox. Now, biblically, solid as a rock. Theologically, foundation laid as hard as you can get. Okay? Unorthodox? Absolutely. And we have just begun. We have just begun. Why? Because people's lives are being destroyed and we need to stand up for them. You see... Plato's worldview of secular and sacred is not a biblical worldview and is limiting the church's ability to fulfill the vision that God has called it to. And most churches are stuck in the paradigm of secular and sacred. But I'm telling you, Christian leaders and just Christian people, I think, are getting sick and tired of God getting a couple of hours on a Sunday morning and maybe an hour on Wednesday, and every other, every other hour of the day is turned over to the enemy. Why do we give to the enemy territory that doesn't belong to him, for goodness sake? Satan created nothing. God created everything. Satan only distorts what God created. There's no such thing as secular in the Bible. God is not confused like we are about what's gray, right, and wrong. Things are either sacred or they're sinful. So if something's not sinful, it's sacred. Which opens up the whole... Think about this. If it's not sinful, let's have at it. Right? Gives us tons of opportunity. What can we do to transform the lives of other people? Satan didn't create work. Satan didn't create business. 
When believers are introduced to this concept of faith, work, and economics, they're inspired to use their business skills to further the cause of Jesus Christ. One, a couple of years ago, I was preaching a sermon like this, and someone came up to me after the sermon, just like they did today, and they said, I feel born again, again. I feel like the scales have fallen off my eyes. Because you know why? I get up in the morning, I go to a sacred job. I do, some, I do something that's sacred. And what the world is telling you for the last hundreds of years is that you get up in the morning and you go to a secular job that has nothing to do with God, that is so unbiblical, it's insulting to God and it's horrifying. Whatever you do, whatever you do it all, every all, any, okay, to the glory of God. You get up tomorrow morning, go to Procter & Gamble. You get up tomorrow morning, go to GE. You go up tomorrow morning and t- get this, take this job or that job or gas station. I don't care what it is. You get up and you do it to the glory of God. You are in a sacred job. There's the same word. Go look it up. The Hebrew word for work and worship are the same in the Old Testament in many cases. It's the same Hebrew word for work and worship. You know why? Because work came before the fall, not after the fall, theologically. Work is worship. You get up in the tomorrow morning, you go to work, you are worshiping God. If you do it to His glory, if you get up and say, God, I'm going to serve you today, I'm going to serve my customers, I'm going to serve anybody who, who, who's bringing things, Lord, I'm going to serve all of them, then you are worshiping God. We need to bring these, when we started bringing these sacred business principles into the church, it transformed, it transformed the church. You say, what, what are you talking about basic uh, biblical principles? These sacred, these sacred business principles. I'll give you one. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Where's it talk about? The parable of the talents. The parable of the talents says, he gave one person five, he gave one person two, he gave one person one. The person with five doubled them. The person with two doubled them. The one who had one stuck it under a rock and God wasn't happy at all. So what we did was, instead of going to Africa, they're placing and saying, who wants a job? Raise your hand, which is a bad way to do it. We found people who were already taken two talents that God has given them and turned it into four. And we moved, we said, we would like to hire you in put you and give you 20 talents. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to close off with this. I know it's a little long. This is Julie on the left-hand side here. Julie was a widow who started a business and was a plant business. She was, she hired two or three other widows. Combined, they had 17 children. We hired Julie. Julie is now the farm manager, if you will, part one of the farm managers. And these are widows within the, the community, the village that we've been talking about, walking out pockets of, pockets of poverty. These are the widows. She hired all the widows in the village. This is acha. It now needs to be harvested. So they're harvesting the acha. And we're paying them to do that. These are some of the widows here. These are all pretty much grandmothers who are carrying babies around their back from their daughters so they can go and they can work. But here's what I'm saying. You apply these biblical, these biblical principles to the marketplace and it transforms people's lives. You know, people would often say to us, you can't mix business and ministry. Now, early on, it was just I took a beating. You can't mix business and ministry. And I say, why not? Is business sinful? Is work sinful? And if the answer is no, then why can't you? 
God created business. God created work. It belongs to Him. It belongs in His church. Period. We don't run the biz- we don't run Grace Chapel like a, a business. We run it the way the Bible says to run it. But we are certainly going to use biblical principles to do whatever we can do to make sure that children don't starve to death and they can dream of a limitless future. We can hire their parents so they're not selling them off and be taken into human trafficking. See, there's a lot more at stake here. This is theologically the correct thing to do, and it is morally the correct thing to do. And you guys have more skill than I do at this, and we need to come together as the body of Christ and use those skills to drive this even further and see what God can do. Most Christians, most Christian leaders, here's the thing, it's killing me. Most Christian leaders are playing with one hand tied behind their back, and they don't even know it. And it is time, it is time to take back what belongs, rightfully belongs to God and start and spark, if you will, spark it, set it on fire, set on fire a revival within the nonprofit and business community where they can work together. They can work together as a body of Christ. I mean, as a holistic body of Christ, work together to solve the problems, the deep abiding problems that we have in this world. It is only through the body of Christ working together and bringing all the skills together that we're going to see changes that we really want to see. Let's bow our heads. God, thank you for this time we can spend together. Thank you for everyone here, Lord God, even taking the time to sit a little longer and listen because you are doing, you deserve, you deserve all the praise and all the glory for everything you are doing through this body. And I pray, dear God, that you would, you would burden our hearts to use whatever, whatever is necessary, Lord God. We will not compromise the word of God. We will not step over the line. But God, if it's not sinful, it's sacred. And we're going to do everything we can to impact this world for you using every skill you've given to us. And we refuse to turn over any more territory to the enemy. We refuse to turn over territory that belongs to you. We want to redeem the marketplace. We want to use it to your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great week.